Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the latest edition of the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. It's your Monday edition of the podcast or... It could be your Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whenever you listen to it. Uh, but we're recording this on June 6th, uh, mailbag edition. We've got a wide variety of, of topics here, Eric. Um, and one specifically for Jared as well, which is a good sign. His uh, great coverage on baseball work is starting to pay through with, with more and more discussion on it. Yeah, how about that, Jared? You put a lot of effort into a thing and people appreciate it. That That has to feel good. I wish the team would have given you another weekend to write about them, though, unfortunately. We'll get to that later, though. Um, but, yeah, I know we're starting with some football talk. We'll get to baseball. We've got a little men's basketball to end the show. Um, I think pretty good variety of stuff. This is the middle of, again, the off season, and so there's a lot to discuss here. And we're going to start here with a, kind of like a house cleaning item, which actually I, I thought was just good to address um, from at not, Nat Fod. Roughly how many players should we expect to lose to graduation slash the NFL at the end of the season? I can't keep track of whose eligibility after this year runs out and who will not be eligible. Sorry, who will be eligible for the draft that might take that leap. Hashtag odds and audibles. The COVID thing, the COVID year in 2020 continues to make this really complicated. I will note, um, we're going to run through some of this. Matt also has a uh, scholarship chart up on duckterrica.com. It's pinned on the message board. Uh, I think it's a really good resource to kind of go through, and it has by class. There's 11 seniors. There's so and so many juniors, and runs all the way through it. That'll help kind of communicate some of this. But the COVID year thing has made this a lot more complicated. And I know we're a couple of years removed from that season, but there's still kind of the the, the lingering ramifications, I guess, if you will. And, and I I kind of prepared a little of this, and we can run through some of maybe the likelihoods of who actually could go pro. But 11 seniors on the roster that don't have eligibility after this year. So that's kind of your baseline. And then there are a bunch of draft eligible juniors and sophomores, and even technically Justin flows like a red shirt freshman, I think. And he's also mm-hmm. in this category, but like I wrote down six guys that I think are the most likely to potentially enter the draft. I think that would be like, I don't know, maybe Bo Nix just because he talked about, I think kind of wanting to conclude his career soon. I don't know what his draft stock looks like. Maybe it improves. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe he comes back. Um, I think Stephen Jones and Brandon Dorlitz are guys that discussed going pro this previous year. It seems likely that they'll take a look again. Noah Sewell, I think, is the highest. Like, I mean, I think he's gone after this year. I'd be stunned if he came back, barring, I don't know. I don't even want to put it out there what it might be because it'd probably be something not positive about this season. 
and then Justin Flo. And I wrote down Christian Gonzalez because there's quite a bit of hype about the way he performed yeah. in the spring. So those are like the six most likely guys. And then there's a handful of other guys that are fifth year juniors. Like I wrote down Isaiah Crocker, Spencer Webb, Sam Taimani, Steve Stevens, and Brian Addison are all fifth year juniors. So they also get kind of thrown in the mix here. So a very inexact number, but I think like hypothetically 16 to 20, probably. Draft eligible? Well, no, that just including the 11 seniors. Oh, okay. Let me see your baseline. And then I said probably maybe five to seven of these guys that are draft eligible that could maybe do it. But that probably, I don't even know if that, I don't know. It's hard. This is really hard to do right now. The draft eligible thing is like, if you just strictly draft eligible, it's over 30 guys. Yeah. It's like the whole team. Um, It's, (laughs) it's massive. And to the question, we even still get confused about what year guys are, what year, what eligibility these guys are, because it's hard to track. Um, and so don't think you're alone in that. I mean, we get paid to know this. And while we know most of it off the top of our heads, there are guys that you have to sit there and think like Steve Stevens, uh, for, for whatever reason, will always from, from my eyes be younger than Javon Holland. Yet they came in at the same time and Holland is entering his second year in the NFL and could, you know, and Stevens could have two more years before he makes it to the NFL if he really wanted to. Um, but I, I think your number is right, right around there, Eric. Um, I do wonder, like, what does Flo do if he stays healthy this whole season and has a huge year? I, he's got to go pro because, in my eyes, don't risk another injury by coming back and hurting your stock. Strike while the iron's hot. And that's where things could get interesting. Like, what does a, a Bridges do? if he has a really huge year uh, at safety for Oregon this season. Um, what what does uh, a guy like Braden Swinson do if he has a really big season? Um, Sean Dollars, if he has a really big year, does he go pro? There's that This number could, could grow to a really big number if certain guys have really big seasons. Yeah, um- of, of course. I mean, when you look at the who, who could actually leave, it's like in that 30 number that you mentioned, Matt. Um, I'll throw a twist into this just because we haven't mentioned it yet. Um, there are perks of staying in college now more yeah. than just getting your education and your degree, which helps you in life. Um, you can get paid basically to stay in college. So for those those players who are those fifth year juniors or fourth year sophomores or Justin Flo's third year of a freshman, um, you could still stay. There's no, there's no obvious reason just to leave so that you can go get financial compensation, um, which I think will help out Oregon in the long run. But I think that number is closer to something like Eric said, where it's like that 20 range. Um, all, a lot of it is just barring off of how good players are this season. Um, losing 11 off the bat is already pretty, it's a pretty good number right there. Um, then you have players who just, you know, they're just not going to want to stay in school for yeah. six years, whatever the case may be. Maybe that is someone like Steve Stevens who does have a year or two more of eligibility or Spencer Webb, um, or maybe they play well and suddenly have a draft prospectus. Um, I'd expect to see players like Dorless and Sam Taimani gone. Um, Justin Flo would probably be gone. I think maybe no matter what, even if he has a bad season or a bad year and is healthy for eight games, I still think he's probably gone. 
um, just because the NFL will probably take a shot at him. Um, I think there's a lot of players who could just end up leaving, um, which is, I guess, a good and a bad thing because a, a good thing for for Lanning to have his full full hands on a class and get all as many as the NCAA allows because we're still not sure whether or not they're going to lift that restriction. So 29 new guys in the class of 2023 or 2024, whatever the case is, uh, it'll be young. That's for sure. But um, it just, I think it's also another positive development on how many players have come through Oregon and are, and you could see as having some type of NFL potential, Um, whether or not that's first round picks, whatever the case may be. I think there's, a solid 10 or 11 names that you could see being potentially drafted, you know, unlike this past season where it was really two or three and only one of them got drafted. Yeah. And the other thing, trying to, if you're trying to think about reverse engineering this for the 85 for 2023, the portal makes that even, I think, easier to kind of accommodate because you can assume like, like I think there's a good point Jared brought up of the, the financial compensation that might keep a Spencer Webb or an Isaiah Crocker or a Brian Addison around right. a little longer just because they've got incentive to be here, even though they're probably going to be graduate students at that point. They'll be working on, you know, their postgraduate degrees. Um, that, that, that plays a role, but there's also the part here where, you know, with, with the number of, you know, let's say for example, they don't, they want to take like 25 or 26, like Jared is saying, and re- really replenish in 2023. They can easily, even if it's not a very large number, say it's on the, the, the I guess the lesser end, and it's only 16 players that leave. They can very easily get under that with, a handful of guys transferring or two handfuls of guys transferring. Like we just saw this off season where even, you know, going through the spring, a couple of guys leave, a couple of guys go after the spring. I, the, the, the free agency almost of this makes the kind of getting under 85 part a lot less complicated than it did a couple of years ago. Um, so it, it's really un- unpredictable, which I'm sure makes it really fun for um, a college football staff to try to put this all together because it is, a constant, like, I don't know, everything's in motion at all times and you really don't know. I'm sure they have somewhere, I don't know who it is, Marshall Malkow, or somebody has a board of like, okay, here's like, like almost like a, what is it, Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with all the little lines going up yeah, yeah. of like, okay, well, it could be, here's how he could get to 85, but this might happen and this might happen. So it's never been more complicated and it will help once we get to what, 2023 and the COVID kind of years are no longer around. That'll kind of everything will get back to some level of normalcy. But with the portal in place, it's always going to be a little bit more complicated and hard to predict. Wait, uh, quick cue. What's your, who's your guy's favorite, like COVID year, strange like class alignment? Like how Sean Dollars is like a fourth year sophomore. That might be that might be my pick. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's mine. Yeah, it's hilarious. I think uh, Sean Dollars is my pick, but. Since you guys both picked him, I'm gonna go with Justin Flo being a true freshman still, um, technically. Uh, even though Noah Sewell is gonna be a junior, they came in at the same time, uh, and the expectation for Flo is just off the charts. And he could win freshman of the year in the Pac-12 this season. Like that's a very realistic outcome uh, in 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 the season. Uh, which just doesn't make any sense. And like Sewell was a freshman all-conference player two years in a row too. Like that's just goofy to me as well. 
Yeah, two linebackers from the same class could be Sewell was the All-Pac 12 Freshman of the Year in 2020, and Flo, who was in the same recruiting class, could win the same award in 2022. That doesn't seem like it makes any sense, but <laughs> uh, and they're I, both, and the fact that they're both uh, the two highest-rated players uh, at that position to ever sign with Oregon, like yeah. you would think, like like with Flo's story is, oh, he's probably a gray shirt, enrolled early, had to red shirt, yeah, uh, you know had to buy his time and then just kind of like exploded onto the scene. No, like he's like literally like one of the best recruits ever to sign with Oregon football. I think another one for me is Isaiah Crocker, just because I, I mean, it's, it's, it's another weird thing where, you know, he came with expectations. We haven't really seen him much. We saw him at the tail end of last year and you kind of feel like, Oh man, maybe this is his final goodbye. This is kind of the end of his career. It's it's finally, you know, lights coming on and you're like, Oh, it's two more years. So, I mean, like it could, (laughs) life could really come on for him at some point here. Just a couple of those are so weird. Like even a Brian Addison's another one where it's like, oh man, maybe he can win the safety job in his last season. No, actually, he could beat the team starting like deep safety for two straight seasons. Um, yeah, this COVID stuff is is makes it wonky. Okay, um, last football question on the show here from at Joey Bond in thirty three. Assuming that Bo Nix is named the starter this fall, could he have a career best season with Oregon? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, are we talking statistically career best season? I assume that's kind of what the expectation, right? Is. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, like you go through his stats at Auburn, I think it's somewhat plausible. I mean, he had his career best season was his freshman year, threw for 2,542 yards, 16 touchdowns, six interceptions. I mean, yeah, I think if, if that's easily attainable, that's that doesn't feel that far off at all. In fact, I remember when we were doing, um, you guys set the line at 3,000 or something for the passing yards a while yeah, ago. I think it was a little less than that. No, I think you guys did that for three thousand because I picked the under, and and then afterwards I was like, ah, I was really stupid. I should have picked the over because I think he probably will. If he's a starting quarterback and they play thirteen games, fourteen games, maybe like they'll they'll hit that. So I think it's pretty likely he hits those stats. To be totally honest, I mean, if if he just replicates what Anthony Brown did last year at Oregon, yep. It's a career year because Brown threw for 2,989 yards, 18 touchdowns. That's more yards by far than he did in 2019. That's two more touchdowns than he threw in 2019. Uh, even Brown's seven interceptions is equal to the high that Bo Nix had in 2020. So I I think it's a real possibility yeah. that Bo Nix has a career year at Oregon in his fourth season of college football. Um, I'd be curious to flip this question. Bo Nix's career high is 388 yards rushing in seven touchdowns, which came on 108 carries in 2020. Does he top that? I don't know there. That's a good question. I'd, uh, I don't think so. 388 yards. I just don't know how much Oregon is going to run with the quarterback. I'm not saying it's going to be like how it's been the last couple of years where there is no running quarterback, but um, I just don't think Bo Nix is as physical as Anthony Brown was last time, yes. last year, excuse me, and could get you like that four or five yards of carry. That's why his, like his average attempt, as Matt just said, was, you know, 3.3 or whatever it is, 3.2. Um, I think he's just going to throw it more. But I think I don't think that's a bad thing. I think he's a better passer than Anthony Brown is. And like Matt was saying, all he has to do is be uh, a better Anthony Brown to set career marks in almost every statistical category. Um, and I think he's 
already a better quarterback than Anthony Brown was. So with better weapons, more likely than not, um, a better offense oriented around throwing the ball down the field, which will net you more, more passing yards, fewer attempts. Um, yeah, I think I think if Bo Nix is named the starter this fall, which I think we're all in agreement on that he's you know, the frontline guy to do it and probably will be. Um, I think, uh, yeah, as long as they play that those 12 to 13 to 14 games, I think he's got a really good shot at setting career highs in almost every category, except maybe not for rushing. The other part is it's just hard to know on the rushing. And even, I guess, we have to take it into account for the passing, just what this offense looks like exactly. We haven't seen yeah. it in the game setting. I mean, the spring game was really encouraging. They threw the ball down the field a lot, which is probably why we're really optimistic. But we also have to realize the spring game, their quarterbacks are in red jerseys. You know, they can't be touched. So there was no run game. So it's, like, really hard to know, like, I know Bo is, as, I mean, you run for that. That's not a, that's a fairly impressive rushing season. It's like 400 yards and seven touchdowns. That shows he can run a little bit. Um, I know he's dealt with some injuries since then. Maybe that keeps, maybe he's a step slow, but like it's possible if, if they want to incorporate a quarterback running. Um, I don't think there's, I would be, we talk about Anthony Brown as some sort of a barometer. I, I don't think he's going to run for 660 yards and nine touchdowns like Brown did last year. Um, Cause that was actually, I think you go back to the um, all time Oregon quarterback rushing leaderboards, one of the stronger rushing seasons for a quarterback. I don't expect Knicks to do that. Um, but if this is, if the running quarterback is a, you know, a, a big component of the offense or bigger than maybe we expect, he could maybe hit 300, 400 yards rushing. That's possible. doesn't seem like it's crazy to me, but I also, it's hard to know right now because we just haven't seen this offense in full motion yet. All right. I, okay. I just think it, it's, it's going to happen. Like, I have a hard time seeing Bo Nix with the weapons that he has, and maybe mo- most importantly, the best offensive line he will have played for in his career, where he doesn't throw for 2,300 yards or more. Um, I, I just have a really hard – or 2,500 yards, excuse me. So a really hard time seeing that. Uh, like it, That would mean something happened where – injury or he just got the like the worst case of the yips ever and something drastically happened where he doesn't he doesn't hit 2600 yards like that's just think about how just average Oregon's passing game was last season with Anthony Brown and yet it was better than anything Nick's had done previously and like Jared said I think he's a better quarterback than Anthony Brown it's just been the, the lack of offense at Auburn to prevent him from doing that. So, all right, let's take, do you have anything else to add to that? Or do we want to take a quick break? Let's hit the break. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, you're listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for getting through that. Uh, two questions down, two more to go. Jared, this is where we turn the show over to some baseball talk. Um, 
from at Nash Duccaneer. Jared, what was your favorite thing about covering the baseball team this season? And do you expect them to be better next season? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Oregon, of course, eliminated on Sunday by Louisville. Um, I don't know how much recap you want to do on this past season, but let's, what's your first off? Yeah. What was your favorite part and kind of set a little bit of an expectation for what the 2022 season or 23 season, sorry, it could be. Sure thing. Uh, Nash, thank you for asking. Uh, I'd say the best part about cover baseball this year was uh, just going to the field almost every day and, and watching baseball. Um, the sights and sounds, no, there's just nothing like it for me. Um, I'd get there probably too early and just watch both teams take batting practice, uh, you know, talk to players, talk to coaches, talk to scouts, do all that good stuff. Um, yeah. I just loved every second of it. Um, and, uh, you know, traveling down to Scottsdale was fun as well, but too hot, but you know, that's just the native new Englander in me. Um, as far as what it takes to be for, for next season, it's, um, it's a tough question to answer right now because there's a lot of draft eligible guys on this Oregon team that do have eligibility left um, who are juniors, draft eligible juniors like Anthony Hall or Josh Kasovich. Um, I think those players, if they come back, that this team becomes a real contender. Um, but if I'm Anthony Hall or if I'm Josh Kasovich, I'm probably going to be drafted in uh, the first six rounds. I'm probably leaving school. Um, and that's what they should be doing. So that's, those are big shoes to fill. Um, and, you know, obviously last year you lose Jovan, Jovan Matthews and Zavala, and you look at those as big shoes to fill. Oregon filled them this past season with a better offense. Um, so maybe they fill them again next year. Who knows? Um, they're the 26th ranked recruiting class coming in, uh, according to Perfect Game, which is, you know, like the kind of the standard, the baseline for, for baseball recruiting. Um, I think the key to them being better, and I think anybody who's listening, who's watched the team this year, or at least read what I've been putting out there, uh, understands that pitching needs to get better. I think they hit the transfer portal really hard for pitching. Um, Adam Meyer, their number one, was hurt early in the year with a season-ending elbow injury. Um, he technically still could be drafted. I don't anticipate it, um, but that's still up in the air. Uh, but then you have RJ Gordon and Isaac Aon, Jay Stoffel, um, guys who ate innings but aren't weren't necessarily fantastic. Um, they need more guys who can who could become frontline starters, who could be a number two or a number three. Um, I think if you get more lefties in the bullpen and two more starters on this team through the portal, or maybe a freshman emerges as one of those guys, I think they could be much, I think they could be better than they were this year. Um, it just depends at this point who gets drafted and who stays in school. I think that's, that's the, that's the biggest part of that question. Isn't regardless of what happens from a roster standpoint, Jared, like I obviously did not pay full attention to Oregon baseball, but I watched at least parts of games every week. Um, I watched when I was able to the games this weekend um, from my sleeping, but it felt like their pitching was just off. Like it it didn't feel like they had the usual number of lefty to righty combos. And that almost feels like regardless of who comes and who stays or who leaves, like, they need to revamp the, the bullpen. They need to revamp their arm race. Yeah, I mean, what you saw this weekend was an encapsulation of what Oregon's pitching has been this entire season. Um, 
there's only two lefties in the bullpen, so that's not that good. Uh, Colby Summers is, is has no more eligibility. He's he's the old man of the group. They call him Pops for a reason. Um, they'll have to bring in more lefties. They'll have to somehow um, promote somebody within their bullpen into that closer role as an established guy. I'm not sure who that would be. Um, maybe Rio Britton, but he didn't perform that well on Sunday. Um but yeah, the arms just, they just need to be revamped. Um, I mean, another thing is that, gosh, probably 70% of the innings are going to sophomores and Gordon, Aon, Jay Stoffel, Logan Mercado, um, Rio Britton, you know, some of their better arms are all sophomores. And another year of, of, of baseball this past season will probably help them going into the offseason. Uh, Jake Angier is a tremendous pitching coach. I know coach Mark Wasikowski is going to hit the recruiting trail hard. That's what he's been doing since he's got here. Um, I think, I think players in the transfer portal will want to come to Oregon just after what they've seen the past couple of years under Wasikowski, how it's a fun baseball system. They hit hard, they throw hard. Um, I, I think, I think they can be better than they were this year, but I think it's just going to depend again on who stays and what arms they get in the portal and what arms further develop in their system. All right. We're going to wrap this up with a question here. It's kind of presidential because the question asker is John V Adams and uh, the question <laughs> basketball. It's going to, this, this is headed your way. Men's basketball, Matt um, with Kalel Ware coming in as a team USA 18 selection. How rare is that for Oregon? And when was the last time Oregon had one? And he asked and asks, has Oregon ever had a, a comparable player? And then finally, any word on how Ethan Butler's ability and how his development is going? Thank you, gentlemen. Hashtag Audibles. Um, that this is going to be, I guess I kind of like am giving you guys the whole second half of the show here because I don't have a whole lot of input. I like Khalil Ware. I think he could be a, t- a big time draft pick, a big time player. But um, I don't know. What's the history like with the Team USA 18 stuff? Do you have that in front of you? There's not a lot. There's not a lot there. Um Lewis King was a member of the Team USA. Uh, Troy Brown was a member of the Team USA. Uh, Peyton Pritchard had an invite and was part of the tryout, but never made it to the final roster. Um, so there, there is some history, but it's not a lot. Uh, Lewis King is the most notable one to get to. I think he was part of a championship team. Um, with that one, but they've certainly tried for a lot of guys that have been on Team USA. Um, I know Oregon staff was able, even at one point, to go long time ago when RJ Barrett was in high school and watched him, you know, play for Team Canada uh, at, at the, you know an event where Team USA was playing at. So they've they've gone after some of these elite, high caliber guys. They just don't have a lot of them in there. I, I think uh, Ware probably has the best possible outcome to, to have maybe the best air quote career for Team USA in competition. Just because uh, I don't I don't know if Luke King was a, a, a full time starter for them. He maybe started a couple games, but Ware looks like a guy that's going to play a lot just because he's one of the only big guys on the team um, and. It's going to be a look. Anytime you get uh, more experience playing against, you know, elite competition, which will be playing with your teammates and also the world's best at your age group, is a good thing. And yeah, it might you know, prevent a little bit, you know, 
of the, of the delay for his development at Oregon, his arrival at Oregon. Um, I, I think the trade-off is worth it for Oregon if, if you're looking at it from their perspective. Um, so it's not very often. Um, now, Butler's ability or development um, sounds like he's improved, sounds like he's growing. I don't think it's a case where you should be out here thinking that Ethan Butler is going to be a starter in in 2022 2023 but it wouldn't surprise me if you know if he's maybe in that rotation at some point early in the season as dana altman is figuring out who can do what and what rotations work it wouldn't surprise me if he's one of those last few guys to get called off the bench early on in the season as he's figuring things out and from there you just don't know but he is certainly a big kid. I mean, you look at his frame and he's like six, seven and 210 pounds or, or so he's, he's got the, the physical tools to turn into something pretty special. It's just now can Oregon's coaching staff and more importantly, Ethan Butler kind of refine that clay mold and turn it into something pretty special there. Matt, we're going to go off show notes here because while you were, I guess you were under the weather with, with your, uh, your sickness, we can we can we can just say that <laughs> okay I, I i try to be careful because we have to yeah. establish if we could okay so yeah matt had covid a little last week so that's why he wasn't on the last show and, and whatnot and i was just with bill richardson back and quincy gary coming back we kind of know now finally it's crazy because like early june we now know what the roster will look like like what how do your expectations change i guess just with will coming back and quincy coming back well i mean mo- most importantly um this does not force uh, a Dior Johnson into the starting lineup. I, th- I I think that is pivotal. And that's not to say I don't think Dior could, could be a guy that starts. It doesn't require him to be that guy. And that's, that's always my biggest distinction for freshmen of Dior status or where status is you want them to be in the starting lineup because they're that good, not because you need them to be that good. Like Troy Brown had to be in the starting lineup for Oregon. And while he had a solid freshman year at Oregon, I don't necessarily think he was even their third or fourth best player uh, on the team. Um, He certainly was at times their best player, but he was too widely inconsistent. And this kind of protects you now from the inconsistencies you see sometimes with freshmen. And so I think the expectation is, is, You've got Will in the starting lineup. You've got probably uh, Keyshawn Bartholomew in the starting lineup. Um, Keysnard is probably in the starting lineup. Uh, the, the transfer from South Carolina, Quincy and Dante. You, you've now got a, a, a rotation of five guys that either are multi-year starters at Oregon or starters, multi-year starters for teams in the power five, or I guess power six of college basketball, which is a good sign. And now your, your bench is made up of guys like Biddle where Dior uh, you've got Tyrone Williams, the nation's junior college leader in scoring Um, Rivaldo Sores. Like I'm not going to sit here and say that the expectation is that they win the PAC 12 conference, but the expectation should be that they're in that discussion like they need to contend for it doesn't necessarily mean win it, but I would be pretty disappointed that if this team does not have a chance to win the league in the final month of the season or final three weeks of the, of the, of the season. 
yeah, it doesn't feel like a team that there's like let's I know this is worst case, but they just had to come off a season where they didn't make the NCAA tournament. I feel like there's no excuses for for that this year. They're a tournament team, hands down. Like, right, it has to be. Yeah, like they they have to be a tournament team. If they're not a tournament team for a second year in a row under Altman, major disappointment. You'd really have to go back and look at what went wrong. Why why did this happen for a second time? Because last mm-hmm. year's team was a tournament team. They just didn't make it. You know, they just never clicked. Um, kind of getting a do over. I I know some people are maybe down on Will Richardson, but I I think this is huge. A for Oregon, huge. B for the league. He's going to be one of the better players in the conference. Um, and, you know, we don't know how long he was dealing with mono during his true senior season. So it gives him an opportunity to, to do it over again. And I mean, again, like I don't, maybe I'm a little optimistic here, but I, I just think this is a team that should make the NCAA tournament. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if they're a sweet 16 caliber team, but at minimum, they need they need to be an NCAA tournament team at minimum. Yeah, at minimum for sure. I think uh, I think it was important to add Keyshawn Bartholomew as well and put him as a primary point guard. Have Will Richardson as the two. I just think that's where he's best. Uh, it didn't really happen uh, last year with Davion Harmon and Jacob Young because those guys were both better suited to be a number two. Will Richardson, I just don't think has the skill set to be a number one. Um, I think he's just better off as a as an off-ball guard, and that's fine. That's why he worked so well with Peyton Pritchard because Peyton Pritchard was the true point guard of that group. Um, I think the, the the addition of Richardson um, obviously makes this team much better, gives him a true number one, a guy who's been through it all, someone who can make clutch, clutch shots, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and now they have a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of tall guards that Dana Allman loves to work around with. And Kuznard, Barthelme, Richardson, Tyrone Williams – uh, soars if you want to count him as a, as a guard. Um, they have options now and you know, their, their front court depth isn't, isn't the best, but this is where Quincy Gurrier um, can play that small ball five, uh, you know, depending on his matchup, you maybe not, maybe don't want him to be a, a center out there, but you know, he's six, eight, six, nine can hold his own, can stretch the floor. Um, he was really pivotal down the stretch last season to try to get, at least get them to, to potentially make a tournament bid. Um, came up short, but you know he's still very—he's a solid player. Um, and to have him back, I think it's going to help. Probably not as much as Richardson, but I think a lot of the underlying defensive metrics, the defensive statistics, the defensive ability is going to be becomes Quincy Gurria is back. I mean, Jerry, go back to the the second game you and I covered that year was against yeah. SMU, a team that was they very clearly could have been a, a tournament team by the end of the season. And Oregon just throttled them 86 to 63. And for whatever reason, Oregon, the first two games of the season looked like they were supposed to be and looked like a second week of the NCAA tournament type team. And then yep. it never really clicked after that. But that was a game where – Will Richardson played kind of off the ball, like Jared brought up. He only played 20 minutes. He scored 18 points. He was four of five on threes. Um, right. And that was because Harmon and Young were, were doing a lot of the point guard uh, distributions that game. Eric Williams had a team high three assists, which was 
a game in which he played, you know, really good early on for Oregon and he kind of fell off at the end of the year. Um, I just think Oregon, they're, they're set up to kind of be the team they were supposed to be last year. Um, they don't have as many big guys as Jared pointed out, but I think last year they, they, they had a lot of big guys and they felt like they maybe had to play them. And then they never yeah, really I think this is okay that they don't have as many. Yeah. They don't like that. The, the guys last year didn't all necessarily fit well. Like you had two of the same thing, like Isaac and, and Bill were the same player. Frank and Dante were the same player. And it felt like they had to play all of them or three of them every game where now you you've got, Dante back, you've got Biddle back, and you who are totally different players between the two of them. And then you've got kind of a mix of the two in Ware, who can shoot threes but also has a good post-up game. And so now you've only got three big guys to really worry about for, for one, maybe two spots, throw in Quincy for your fourth big man. And now you've got that natural kind of rotation of guys. I just think this roster is better – is built better than it was last year. Um, and that's, that could be a, a reason why I feel like the expectations should remain high. All right. It's going to do it for us here on the awesome audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for submitting questions uh, until the next one. We'll be back uh, later this week. You've been listening to the awesome audibles podcast. Talk to you later folks. Peace. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. The time has come for drag queens to save the world. world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. (laughs) Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.